Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 184 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas on this Memorial Day. I hope everybody's enjoying their holiday weekend and staying safe. I'm extremely excited about this episode today as we have, I think, the first interview with all three of these women together since the Olympic marathon trials. We've got a conversation with Stephanie Bruce, Kellen Taylor, and Olafine Toliamuk that we were able to have on Friday via a Zoom call for our community here as we kick off our front door 5K series, which is sponsored by Hoka. So full credit to them for helping bring these women to us. It's, well, these three really need no introduction, hopefully, in this world. You've got Stephanie Bruce, who's been doing this for a long time and is a U.S. 10K road champion, as well as a badass marathoner in her own right. Then you have Kellen Taylor, who's a top 10 marathoner in the U.S. of all time by time. And then, of course, Alphine Tuliamuk, who is your Olympic trials marathon champion. So it's it's a good conversation. We talk all about the trials itself and then get their perspective, of course, on training during this time. And we also spend a little bit of time getting some questions answered for our women's group that Ruth England is leading, which, by the way, you can still join if you'd like by going to our homepage, roguerunning.com, scrolling down, finding that Rogue News button, where we still have the ability for you to sign up for that group before May 31st for those that are interested. But with this, as a very quick intro, I do not want to delay getting to this conversation with Steph, Kellen, and Olafine. So here we go. Welcome, everybody, to our exciting guest panel with the women of Northern Arizona Elite. We've got really running royalty with us tonight, and I'm excited to have them here with us. We'll do some introductions in a second, but first, just want to thank Hoka One One for being a part of this event and bringing these amazing women to us. Jonathan Harris is on. He's our local Hoka rep who is helped coordinate this for us. They are obviously, as we talked about at our fall kickoff, they're helping us sponsor this Front Door 5K series and we'll be providing swag for that. And we're able to coordinate this inspirational evening. And so we get to chat with, in my opinion, three of the best ladies in the sport. And so we're excited to, to cover a few things and getting to know them. Hopefully you already know them a little bit, but I'm, I'm suspecting we'll learn a few things new tonight. So we've got just left to right, at least on my screen, we've got Stephanie Bruce. Hey, Stephanie, waving. She's a U.S. 10K champion and an incredible marathoner in her own right. Kellen Taylor next to her on the couch. She's a top 10 U.S. marathoner of all time. And then we've got Alephine Tuliamuk, who is our Olympic trials marathon champion who got it done just before everything shut down. So excited to have you all on. I want to start with some intros, but I want to talk about some things that maybe people don't know as much about you uh, on. And so we'll just go in that same order. Stephanie, obviously you're an amazing runner and mom, and there's a lot that's inspirational about what you do, but you're also the co-founder of Picky Bars. So give us just a little bit on that. What's it like in that role in your life? Um, well, I'm very lucky because my co-founders, Jesse Thomas and Lauren Fleshman, they really run the show. Um, since we're based out of Bend, Oregon, I don't really do much of the day-to-day. So I guess I'm in that position that everyone um, 
aspires to be in where you own a company and you don't really do that much <laughs> on the day-to-day -day basis. Um, but yeah, no, it's been just really cool to see, you know, we're coming up on our 10 year reunion um, this fall of when we launched the company and what our vision was in the beginning and what it's turned into now and the community we have behind and where Jesse, Lauren and I's lives have like come from starting that company. Um, it was just a really complimentary part of being a professional athlete because when, when I was injured and when Lauren was injured, we got to this point where we thought, well, what, what, what else is there? If you're injured as a professional athlete and you have nothing to fall back upon, you wake up one day and you're 26 years old and you have nothing else, you know, to show for it. So we wanted to see if we could like be entrepreneurs and do something on the side while also trying to get onto the podium. Um, and it worked out for all three of us in our own careers. And then as the two of them have kind of phased into their almost more retirement, you know, I'm still at the prime of my career, but it's very cool to see like what founding that company did for us. Yeah. Not just bars anymore. Oatmeal as well. Really good oatmeal, I must say, but really cool to me that you've got such a breadth in your, uh, in your wheelhouse there. And Kellen, you're, you're training to be a firefighter. I think that's just really cool. In addition to being a foster mom and amazingly fast marathon as well. But what is it like training to be a firefighter? Give us a little picture of that. Um, you know, when you're probably 80 pounds, weigh 80 pounds less than the typical person that's doing it. Um, I think it's, it's challenging for sure. Um, but extra rewarding, um, to be able to go out and do the same things that, you know, these huge guys are doing, um, you know, just kind of, I guess like any race that goes well, it's validating to be able to do the things that you had worked hard for. So when they're doing their body drags, um, of their 165, 180 pound dummy, you know, I'm right next to them doing the same thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's something that I'm really looking forward to doing at some point. Um, when running has phased out maybe a little bit more, um, I'm done with all of my training. So until I get hired, I'm kind of uh, putting it on the back burner, but it's something that I'm pretty passionate about and excited to get into. How do they treat you in that world as an outsider or do they bring you right in? Actually really well. Um, when I first started, I was told I showed up the first day and the company, they put us into companies, um, in my fire one and two class. And I found out a couple of weeks later that they were like intimidated by me, um, which is really funny to like learn because, you know, I'm this small female and they're these big guys, but they were really intimidated. Um, but yeah, they always treated me very fairly. Um, super nice. Uh, nobody, I, that I know of really talked down about me. Um, yeah. And I walked away from that class. I think I was a student of the class or whatever. So I had the teacher's respect as well, um, which was also very nice. Well, they're probably not the only ones in t intimidated by you because I know your competitors on the start line probably are as well. Alephine, I don't know that many people know, but you aspire to be a nurse. And this must be an interesting time for you and having that aspiration in the back of your head, knowing that there are a lot on the front lines that are having a tough time as we fight this pandemic. How, how do you think about that aspiration now? 
I mean, I am super excited about the next, um, you know, step in my career, which is going to uh, school and hopefully, um, you know, graduating from nursing school and getting a job as a nurse. Um, I think that um, making the Olympic team actually saved me in terms of not wanting to go to school right away because I, right now, looking at what's happening and how uncertain it is, I think that if I hadn't made the team, I probably would have come back and be like, you know what, I'm done with running and I'm going to go back to school. Um, it's something that I'm very passionate about. Just like Kelly mentioned, she's passionate about firefighting. Um, being a nurse is something that I've always wanted to do, even way before um, I wanted to be a runner or like go pro. And so I can't wait for that. Um, and I think at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, seeing what was happening and knowing that that's something like that area is something that I'm passionate about. It felt very, um, I felt, um, I felt useless not, be, not being able to do what I would love to do and not having the skills. I really wish that I had those skills um, at the time, but I think as time has gone by, I've kind of um, come to terms with the fact that, you know, my time will come that I have something else that I need to focus on right now. Including crocheting beanies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've, got, we've got your little production facility. It looks like behind you. Give us a little bit on that. I imagine demand has been off the hook after winning the Olympic trials. What's it been like trying to keep up? It's been fun. It's been stressful. Um, I think when I came back from the Olympics, uh, from the trials especially, I was very overwhelmed by orders um, just because I wasn't prepared for that. And it was very stressful to try to catch up with those. But then the second time I reopened my store, um, I was so excited to see just how long it took for the store to, to sell out. And I think it sold out the first time within like an hour. And then I kind of like restocked it again or say that I had the, the, the hats anyway. And then it sold out in less than 24 hours. And I, um, you know, I was like almost 300 uh, orders behind. But it was okay because I felt like I was prepared because then I was like, okay, you're going to receive your beanie from like, I don't know, six to eight weeks now. Some of some people are actually going to get it probably in like nine weeks. Uh, but it's been fun being able to um, do something else. And uh, my beanie's name is Ali T. Resiliency Beanies. And I feel like we're at a time where people, a lot of people need resilience. Um, and so it's been fun to uh, get some messages from people, you know, saying, hey, I think it's not selling right now, but, you know, my friend uh, is going through cancer treatment. Can you make them a hat? I mean, they could use that or, hey, you know, this is going on. Like, it's been really fun to uh, um, like, yeah, like that. And it's made me very happy. And it makes me happy to know that I can do something like very small, but it can impact someone else. Well, we love it. I need to get an order in, even if it takes a year. <laughs> even if it takes a year. Unite the clans. What is that? We got some background noise there, Brent. I don't know where that's coming from. So, Stephanie, I want to go back to you and talk a little bit about Team NAZ Elite. Obviously, what you have as the three of you women working together is powerful, but it extends beyond that as well. You're a veteran member of that team. What's the team dynamic like in with with your group? Um, it's hard to sum up in a short talk like this, but I don't know. I think when, you know, coach Ben and Jen started the group years ago, they just had like this really deep vision for what a professional running group, you know, could look like and how 
one, the sport could treat professional runners and two, how professional runners could treat the sport. Um, and I think that's what we're trying to do. You know, our motto is train hard, race fearlessly and share every part of the journey. And that mission statement like really holds us accountable in our daily lives as we're training, when we go out and execute our race plans and then trying to just in our own authentic ways, like share parts of our journey. And that's gonna look different among everyone in the team. You know, everyone has different personalities. Some people use self-deprecating humor. Some are more into inspirational quotes. Um, yeah, so that I think that varies among us, but there is still just this common theme that we all have. Um, I think it's, you know, we want to put people on Olympic teams. We did that this year. You know, we want to win major marathons. We want to podium at major marathons. We want to make uh, teams on the track. So we have all these really big goals, um, but we're trying to find a way to do it individually, but also like collective as a team. And I think that attitude where when one person achieves something, it becomes like contagious because then another person is like, wow, they just did this. Like, I feel like I can accomplish that. And so in a sense, the power of the group very much like elevates each other's performances. Yeah, I was talking to Ben Rosario and Kellen, I'll bring you in for this question. And he talked about this idea of having a we, a we mentality. And, you know, you're all in it together. Stephanie refers to that. What do you think about that concept of a we mentality and where to you, where for you does it really come to life? I mean, I think that we have a shining example from the trials. Um, you know, Steph and I did not make the team, but we made the team. Um, Allie did it. She won the race. And that was the ultimate goal was to put somebody on the team. Um, you know, and I, ideally it would have been all of us, you know, we all could have walked away and, you know, one, two, three, that would have been fantastic. Um, we didn't come super far from it, but, you know, we're training day in and day out together, um, working towards a common goal. And I mean, really it's, it's one of those things where, you know, at the end of the day, you can walk away and be almost just as excited for the person that did make it, um, like when Alephine made it, then you would be for yourself. And I think that we're pretty authentic in, in that statement. Well, let's talk about the moment, that moment. And first of all, just take me to the start line. And I'll ask you this, Alphine, when you're all lined up together, you're racing each other for sure, in that it's head to head. But at the same time, obviously, you're going to help each other if you can. What's that mentality like? How do you marry those two things on a start line? I think um, this was like, for all of us, uh, you know, the most important race of our lives uh, because we all had the chance to make the Olympic team and knowing that we had trained together, you know, for like three months and we had done all the work together and we got really, really close. It was very special to be on that start line together. And as a matter of fact, you know, like when we were warming up, I usually um, do my own thing, but we all three warmed up together and I was so nervous and they were able to calm me down, which was kind of interesting because I'm usually the one who is like excited and cheerful and like, you know, acting like it's not a big deal, but that day was not a day. Um, and so I was really able to um, rely on uh, Stephanie and Kellen a lot. And 
it was just so cool to be on that timeline together. Of course, again, you don't really think much about it, you know, when you're in that situation, because again, it wasn't just like the three of us. There were like 10 other women who had the chance to make that team. But I think I just took a short, you know, moment to recognize just how special it was and knowing that it's not every day that you get to go to a start line with two people, um, you know, that you've worked very, very hard with and healthy at the time. Of course, we didn't know what Kellen was going through. Um, um, so it was just, it was powerful for sure. Stephanie, take us into that lead pack. I was there on the sidelines in Atlanta cheering and it was just a powerful scene watching those lead women run by each time we got to see it. Tight pack, all the big names there for a long period of time until things started to break up when Alephine and Molly made their moves. But take us to the early parts of the race. What was it like running in that group? Um, I was very like coherent and aware early and I think that's the feeling you hope you have because that means like you're under control and you've done the training that prepares you to just kind of zone out you know the first 10k hopefully the first 20k and I remember just kind of like assessing how many people were in the pack um, I looked at my splits like the first couple and then I just said you know what this the way this course is we have no data on it like stop looking at your watch um, and I remember just feeling like the training we had done was so difficult and coach Ben just fed us to the wolves like every week and we felt so strong. I mean, I'm speaking for them, but I think we all felt the same. Like we were running up hills, like it was no big deal because we were used to running up hills at 7,000 feet and our legs were not being pounded because we had pounded them so much in training. Um, and you could breathe running up hills in Atlanta. So I felt like it was more just going to be who was going to be standing like that last 10K. And we were all very prepared to get through 20 miles. Um, and I do remember like a couple moments where you wouldn't really know where everyone was. Like I was kind of in the back of the pack most of the time. I just found myself there. And so I could always see that Kellen and Alphine were in it, but I didn't know if they knew I was there. But then if you would like run by a cheering section, you would hear people say their names. So maybe that's when they could hear, oh, they said Stephanie's name, so she must still be in the pack. Or I remember Allie and I kind of looked at each other. I said something to her. I had noticed Des was like doing something sneaky where she was always making moves at the water stations. And I was like, oh, she's going to do it again. And so I kind of like was calculating that. And I said that to Alfie one time. I'm like, just so you know, Des is going to go at this next water station. So um, there's a little bit of like talking and chatting amongst one another. Um, that goes on, but it was like really comforting to have them like in that pack, but also knowing like Alphine said, there's also 10 or 12 other women who everyone has a shot to make this team. And we were all there till 18 miles. Kellen, were you aware of the crowds? I mean, it, it was insane. I mean, it, we're standing where I was at least, it was a scream, scream tunnel and it seemed like it was that way for most of the course. Were you aware of that? Or did you just zone in on what you were focused on? It was so loud. There, were, there was one point in the course, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it was the same, same spot every single time where I, know that I, I knew that when I rounded the corner that I would hear ringing in my ears because it was so loud. Um, the crowds were amazing. Uh, I say that they parallel with New York or any of those big marathons. Um, the whole thing was just mind. It was amazing. It was. You came in with some niggles in your calf, I believe, is how it was 
manifesting at least before the race. Ultimately, you found out you had, I believe, a tibial stress fracture that either was there before or went over the edge during the race itself. When did you start feeling that? I started feeling it, I think, about a month before the race. Um, you know, and it was something that was present. We thought, I didn't know what it was at first, and we eventually found out that it was shin splints. And I was like, okay, we'll suck it up. It's shin splints, <laughs> big baby. <laughs> um, so, you know, we just kept training, and, you know, I saw pts and had it evaluated many times and it hurt and it sucked and i kind of got to the end of my uh, segment and told coach ben that i did not like running um, <laughs> because it was so painful um but you know i think that we had already come so far that it was like okay well you know they say that you know it's shin splints so just suck it up do the race you can do this for two and a half hours and you'll be fine. You know, that's all you have to do run for two and a half hours. And hopefully that's good enough to put you on the team. Um, did you feel it? Was it hurting in the race? I, I, I felt it every single step of the last two weeks. Um, mm. so, you know, I think it's one of those things where you basically have to mentally try and block it out, um, by distracting yourself with other things, um, the crowds where you're at people around you. Um, I don't know. You know, one of those things where it really yeah. you just have to do it. Eighth in the Olympic trials on a stress fracture. Pretty badass. Alphine, take us to the lead, to the move, to when things started to break up. I know you guys were heading out on Peachtree and then made that turn coming back towards downtown and things started to break up. What was that like for you? I don't know. I feel like that would actually be a question for somebody else. Um, I feel like somebody who was like behind, like Kellen will probably be able to answer that question better. But for me, um, I was just following whoever was leading, um, you know, and I had been doing that for like two loops before that. And I didn't really realize that, I mean, it felt like we had been running fast and we were going up. And of course I knew that, you know, um, soon enough we were going to make the move i just thought that someone else was going to do um the, making the move and then like we're just running and i feel like we're running we're running fast but it didn't feel that hard for me um and then like of course every loop like and even usually i look back and so at some, at some point i look back and i realized you know that we had kind of broken away and then i was like holy crap this is it like this is the move this is the moment and so that was when like I just kind of went shoulder to shoulder with Molly and I think we, it was probably me who like stepped on the gas and then I was like, hey, come on, let's go, you know, so we kind of ran together. But before that, it didn't feel like we were about to make a move. It was just that we were running up fast. And um, so going into the race, um, I thought that we were going to run, like we were running on that loop where, uh, you know, like people will just draw back because they will feel the heat uh, from, the, from the race and from the pace. But that was, that's not what happened. Um, and so, yeah, I think Kellen might have a better answer, actually. <laughs> Kellen, Stephanie, you want to take that one? Yeah. So I think what Alpine is trying to say is when you're having a day, it's, it sounds weird, but it's not hard. Right. So Alpine was just like, guys, where's everyone else? Yeah. <laughs> we're all like, we're trying really hard here, but we're not catching I'm you. I'm like, come on, we've walked so hard. <laughs> I'm 30 miles yeah. straight uphill. Straight so. uphill. Wow. So pretty much the feeling is like, and Alphine, you know, has a tendency when she's in a workout and she's feeling good, she's like, come on, honey, let's do this. And I'm like, I 
do this, I'd be right up there with you, you know? So it's, it's nothing against her, but it's, it's when you hear athletes talk about when they win and in the zone, when you have your day, you don't, it's like, you don't feel pain or everything just comes together and everyone else is working much harder. And so it's probably hard. It sounds like, oh, she's being like cocky, but she just was the best athlete on the day. And that's just the reality. None of us could match that. So how did it feel for you in that moment where you're climbing the hill thinking, my gosh, <laughs> there she goes. I'm sure you've had that moment in a workout where suddenly Alephine just takes off. So was that just deja vu for you or how did it feel? I mean, we were a little different because Kellen went with it. So I guess you could speak to that. Kellen was actually leading right before that move. I think Kellen was leading until like, Kellen, you were the one like kind of, you probably started the move. You're complaining about a 5.30 after <laughs> hill. You were the one driving that mile. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I, the only part that I remember where you guys like separated was uphill and I was next to Des and it was you, Molly and Sally and you guys all charged up the hill and Des looked at me and she was like, you got, we gotta go. And I was like, I'm trying. <laughs> what else to do right now, but I'm trying. That was the, that was the hill that I noticed. Um, I did, honestly didn't notice any other hills until that point. And then I was like, oh, here's a hill. This is hilly. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> the race is on. And Alphine, I went back to watch the, the feed afterwards, a few days later, I had taped it on DVR on the NBC feed and I hadn't seen your finish the last six miles really because I was out on the course and, you know, it seen some replays of the final straight, but hadn't seen that final 10 K until I watched it later. And it was, it was just so striking to me how confident you looked, how definitive you were in, in your pacing. It seemed like clearly Molly was there with you and you guys were working together, but you were driving hard and really carrying her in many ways how did that final 10k feel i think i felt uh, really strong that day it just came together for me that day unlike any other day and i actually have gone back so many times and i realized that that was the most important race of my life in the sense that i produced on the day that mattered the most i like before that i felt like you know um yes i was a national um 10 time national champion but then i felt like on those races you know um I always won because maybe there were guys in the race and I'll just find the guys and tuck in behind them and just run away. Or I was just, you know, the clear favorite. And so on that day, I felt like it came together on the day that it mattered the most. And those last uh, six miles or last 10K, I felt super strong, but there were also times where, you know, like I was like, uh oh, I'm in trouble. But having Molly there, and there were times that she was pushing, that really helped a lot. I feel like if I, um, if she wasn't there, I think that my pace, um, like over the last 10 uh, K would not have been as fast as he was. And so it helped having that there a lot. And I think um, all of us can speak to that, like having someone to run with, especially at the end of the race is pretty cool. But then I also was confident because that was my sixth marathon and um, I was feeling pretty comfortable. So I knew that there was a chance that I could win. And so I was just pretty confident, but I think that confidence also came from knowing that we had separated uh, from everyone else and that I already had the spot to make the team. Stephanie, when did you learn, was it before or at the finish line that Alphine had won? Um, I knew about 10 days before. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, we did a workout with Mary 
<laughs> we're very good at running and Alphine just like destroyed us in this one workout and then our like second to last workout this is like 10 days before I remember you know I'm feeling like we're about to taper but I'm pretty tired this segment's been so hard Kellen has like one leg she's running on and Alphine's <laughs> like I feel like the segment's just getting started and I was like are you insane <laughs> like I'm just feeling so like fresh and I'm like oh we're like in a lot of trouble right now and, um, what's also cool about that is that's not to be like oh crap like I'm giving away my place to Alphine like we happen to be on a team where three people legitimately had a shot to make the team and win the race so when your training partners are legitimate contenders sometimes you don't feel that bad about like getting your butt kicked because you know when Alphine did what she did it was like oh good that makes us look a lot better in practice like when we got dropped by her because she was the best person in the United States for women on the day. I love that 10 days before <laughs> and I think coach Ben admitted that he predicted <laughs> that privately as well the day before the couple of days before talk to me about Kellen talk to me about this picture behind me I think this was my favorite moment from the from the day the you guys seeing each other at the finish line and the embrace that followed what was that like being able to celebrate as a team at the finish I mean it was just really special um we had been through so much you know in those three months like so many different things running related non-running related um where we really just had formed a bond together um and to be able to go to that race and have Alfie win and do exactly what we were trying to do was super special. Um, I, I knew that Alfie was going to make the team um, probably win at the turnaround by the, by the Olympic rings. Um, but, you know, to actually come down that home stretch and have coach Ben tell me like Alfie won, um, even though, you know, I wasn't having the greatest day of my life, it was still really exciting. I was still really happy for her, um, you know, to hear that stuff was so close, you know, 19 seconds away was heartbreaking in a sense, but also like, you know, sixth place, that's pretty damn good. Um, so to be able to have all three of us be in the top eight um, at the Olympic trials was, was pretty cool. Um, and I think that picture, that hug, was just the culmination of all of those months and the day. Alphine, how, how did you feel seeing your teammates? I think up until that point, um, you know, I was just existing. I was excited, but also, like, you know, kind of in shock. But then I saw Stephanie and Kellen, and I went to hug them, and it kind of became a reality. And I got so emotional, and I cried. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know why I was crying. Honestly, I don't know if I was crying because I just saw them and we had a special connection or I don't know why I was crying, but I just got super emotional. And it was, I mean, looking back now, I just, I kind of wish that um, that moment was longer, you know, because moments like that, you want to save for them, but it just went by so fast. And um, looking at that picture right now, like always gives me a nod on my throat because it's, it was just so special. and. I keep thinking like, I don't know if I hope that Infida will have, you know, an opportunity to train together like that and, you know, produce the results that we did because it was pretty special and I know special things come once in a lifetime. So I don't know, like, I hope we can get more of that. 
Me too. I mean, the cool, the cool thing about it to me is just, you know, a lot of people think of running as a solo sport, but we like to say around Rogue that it's only solo if you let it be. And if you find a tribe to roll with and train with, how big or small, however big or small, then it is about more than just you. And I think you guys embody that not just for each other, but also for your whole team, inclusive of everybody that represents an AZ Elite. So it's just really special as a fan to see. Stephanie, I'll give you a chance to answer that question too, because I want to get your perspective on that photo. I mean, it's the same. It just is, I don't know. You could argue I'm the biggest crier out of the three of us. Elfine says she is, but I cry a lot. And um, Actually, you do. I do, exactly. <laughs> to be fair, you cried before the race, so that was true. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I only cry on special occasions, sister. <laughs> Holding a baby before um, a race. Yeah. Um, but I'm like Alfie and like I totally I think because I've been in the sport so long and I've missed every single Olympic team that I've tried I just like I was like so close but then Alfie got it and then I was I wanted that moment to like last because like you said the like ability that we have to train for a living like it's not forever and to be at the height of our careers and the fittest we've ever been and all you know healthy so to speak it just doesn't come all the time and in in that moment it was everything it was like joy for Alfie and heartbreak for me heartbreak for Kellen that fast forwarding am I going to be here in four years am I too old was this it for me like I had all of those thoughts in that like moment of us embracing and I did just want to live in it a little longer than we got to but um that's racing like you cross the finish line you you have the emotion you process it and then you need to walk down um the path into the media tent and try to gather how you're feeling and not make a fool of yourself in front of the cameras. Um, I, re I regret saying something. So I don't know. It's just, um, it was a whirlwind of emotions. Yeah, I, can, I can't imagine, but really cool to see. I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about what it's like to train as women together, as three strong women are competing at the highest levels of the sport. We just started a group, a women's only virtual group. They're training for a half marathon and hopefully in the fall, we'll keep our fingers crossed on that and we'll, we'll complete it virtually if we have to, but we've got a women's only group. I'll bring Ruth into this part of the conversation, but I wanted to ask you first, Kellen, and I'll go to you. What's it like being surrounded by such strong women in your group, not just these two, but others as well? I think that it's empowering um, to be able to have, I mean, my whole running career up until I moved out to Flagstaff, I did my training pretty much by myself or with guys. Um, so to be able to do my training with ladies that are of a similar caliber or better than me um, is special. Um, it helps to elevate you. Um, you get better when you're training with better people and hopefully you can help get them, them get better as well. Um, I think that there's kind of a stigma in a sense that like, like you had said earlier that you can't train together and get along. Um, if you're all going for the same thing, like we all wanted that Olympic spot. Um, but we can, we did, I think lots of groups do it. Um, I think that you kind of have to put 
that competitive aspect out of it when you're in practice and worry about, you know, the task at hand. So when we're at practice and we have a workout, we're working on just getting the work done. I'm not worrying about like beating Seth or beating Alephine, worrying about, you know, hitting the splits that we're supposed to hit. You know, if we get a push, great, go for it. If you're having a good day, you go. Um, but not being, being jealous of somebody, I guess, if they are having a better day than you, um, because it all comes full circle. It does. Ruth, I wanted to bring you in. We are our, our book. We have a book for the group that we're using. I don't know if you ladies know Stacy Sims book roar, but it talks about training as a woman. And, and so that's a foundational piece of that Ruth is using as the coach for that group to really help tailor the training to the female body, the female physiology. So Ruth, I'll let you jump in and ask the women some questions about training as a woman. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Um, so as Chris said, we've been using this book, Roar, came out in 2016. And as a former, well, I'm never not competitive, but as a less competitive, but formerly really competitive athlete, um, there are a lot of times in my train, own personal training and then my own coaching where things would just mess up when it came to race day. And sometimes it was sort of like, oh, I just got my period the day after the race and had very few coaches over the years that actually identified anything other than, oh, well, maybe you could switch around your birth control pills a little bit. So I'm just wondering from each of you, have you guys had coaches in the past um, who have taken a look at the female physiology, meaning more or less the hormone levels and how that cycles to help you tailor your training a little bit more to being a female versus just being a small man. So I'm just gonna maybe start with uh, Kellen again and then kind of go around the circle. Um, you know, I actually haven't had a whole lot of experience with that. Um, all my coaches have been super supportive of, you know, everything that I've done and understanding of me as a female athlete, but I've never had any experience with um, them diving deeper into it. Um, Steph, have you had any? Um... Yeah, I think I have made Coach Ben be that coach. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> In what way? Well, so... I've, I've been the first woman he's coached postpartum and um, he really had to learn a lot of things and be open to all the truths that I was telling him. Um, and, you know, in the beginning it went from here I was someone who could run 90 miles a week and then I gave birth and I could barely run 10 miles a week. Um, and so he worked with me like week to week as we kind of like gradually got back to what postpartum running looked like. Um, I had to share things with him about incontinence. Like our big joke is when we like do drills and strides in the afternoons, like a few years ago, we would have a jump rope as part of our session. And like, I would start and you're supposed to go for a minute. And then after 10 seconds, I just threw the rope down. He's like, oh, okay, okay, I get it. Like you're peeing your pants. And, and so I feel like I just made him like, comfortable with the uncomfortable or little things like after a workout um i we were down in camp verde which is about 45 minutes south of here and i i was filling up with milk because i was breastfeeding and so i had to pump in the back of his car so he's driving up and he starts to talk and he and he like just says something he's like oh, oh i'm sorry like i don't know what's going on back there and i was like i'm just pumping it's fine so in that regards, I think it is really like open his eyes up to <clears throat> the different components that like women do have to face training 
and yeah, I talk about periods with him. I wrote a blog on, you know, like training and racing on periods. So I feel like as a professional athlete, it is part of our job to address that. And it would be, um, I don't know, it would be immature or it would just be not responsible to not acknowledge that part of being a woman, making sure you're getting your period, you know, all those factors that go into like the female health and how to, how to just have a sustainable like career in running. Makes sense. Alphine, how about you? Um, I, I think, uh, so when I came to Flagstaff to visit, of course, we talked about a lot of stuff, but uh, when Ben and I had a meeting, I told him, I said, I've made a, a vow to myself that I always, you know, want to make sure that I'm healthy. And part of that is that I get my period every month. And I told him, I said, I just want you to know that if I joined the group and the training was so hard and I got to a point where I wasn't getting my period, I would start running. And he's like, Stephanie's good at that, so you'll be okay. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to say this, that, oh my gosh, like before the trials, 10 days before the trials, and I, I, I hear people talk about how, you know, having their period uh, during the race really throws things, uh, you know, um, around for them. And that has happened for me. It happened for me in the mini 10 day last year. Um, and I was just praying, you know, like initially I was supposed to have my period on the trials day. And for a long time, I was so stressed out about it. But then after New York, I took a trip to Mexico. And because I think of the traveling, it kind of messed up things. But then I got my period 10 days before the trials. And honestly, I knew that I was going to make the team because I got my period 10 days before the trials. <laughs> ah, I didn't tell you guys that because I didn't want you to be like, you know, the to same, feel bad. <laughs> the same day Stephanie knew you would win too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but no, like I think... Um, I've never had a coach, you know, tell me anything. However, though, I think in the past, um, I have had some coaches, not necessarily to me, say that, oh, it's okay not to have your period. It's because you are, you know, a high-level athlete. And that, to me, especially looking back right now, infuriates me because why are people making it okay for women, you know, knowing that it's not because, you know, they're training at a high level. That's not okay. No, it's because something is going wrong. You know, something is wrong. They probably are not fueling enough or they're overtrained, but they don't take an initiative, you know, to help them get to, you know, an optimum weight so that they can maintain both. It just infuriates me to think about that now, but like none of that has been like directed to me. That, yeah, that's really interesting. Well, that uh, in the book, Stacey Sims points out that Paula Radcliffe actually broke the world record in 2002 and was having her period during it. So it was one of the things that I know for a while she came out and talked a lot about coaches manipulating the cycle and that really um, Stacey also points out that actually when you get your period for the next 14 days and you were in 10 days, they, it's a lot easier to run and we're much more like men physiology from a physiological standpoint than in the 14 days pre-period. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting book and I, I encourage Stephanie you to read it and then you can just tell Ben about it. Um, <laughs> one other thing that she also spends a lot of time talking about, of course, is nutrition, because of course we're athletes. And um, there is an emphasis in that on um, recovery and the fact that uh, women actually need to pay closer attention to protein and recovery as well as a, we have a smaller window because of the switch from burning fat more efficiently while we run, yay endurance, and uh, but then quickly not doing that unlike men. So what do you guys do post-race for your recovery or post-hard workout? And uh, Kellen, I'll start with you, I guess, again. Um, you know, I would say I'm probably the, the worst 
<laughs> the nutrition stuff. Um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, you know, but if, if I'm really on my game, I think that, you know, having a smoothie of sorts, um, when I make a smoothie, I'll put like peanut butter, banana, um, some strawberries, um, not a big, not a huge protein powder person, but, um, maybe a scoop of that if I have something I like. Um, but you know, it's kind of, kind of like a lot of people. I have a lot of areas to improve. Um, <laughs> so hopefully that's something that I can do here this next, next uh, segment. Stephanie and Alfie are great about it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So Steph Stephanie, what do you do? Um, well, I started an energy bar company called. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I eat them. Like <laughs> we, what we were really um, dedicated to was like the four to one carb to protein ratio because we knew with what's called the glycemic uh, index in the window that 30 minutes post run, if you forget everything else during the day, the 30 minutes after exercising is the most important time to get something in because your body is a sponge and your muscles just take whatever. I mean, if, if all you had was like a cookie on hand, that's better. You're better off eating a cookie than nothing in that 30 minute window. Um, and so I don't, don't eat a cookie all the time, but, um, so besides like picky bars, I always do a protein smoothie and that varies between like my favorite recently is mint chocolate chip. I do frozen banana, almond butter, almond milk. Um, I do two to three scoops of rice protein powder. Um, and that's about 20 grams of protein. And then I will do, um, some kale, some mint and cacao nibs, um, and it's a really delicious smoothie. And so, yeah, no matter where I am, I always have that within 30 minutes of finishing a run, a workout, or lifting. Yeah, that sounds really tasty. I might have to ask for that recipe. Yeah, <laughs> sounds really good. Alphine, how about you? I hear you're also good at it. What do you, What's your drink? Oh, I, I think I try. Uh, I try to get smoothies after, especially like when training for a marathon. I try to get uh, smoothies right after, and I put anything and everything I could get my hands um, into on my smoothie or in my smoothie except peanut butter. I don't like peanut butter. Um, I just don't like the smell of it. However, um, you know, like I think I started uh, using collagen proteins. Um, and not too long ago, you know, a company sent me some collagen proteins that has some recovery in it. Uh, like, you know, they like they have different uh, types, you know, some are for recovery. And that's what I've been using now when I make my smoothies, especially post runs. However, like when I'm training just, you know, for usual like uh, shorter runs, so I, I'm not very good. I think I'm kind of like Kellen, I'm not very good with my nutrition, but I really try to stay, stay on top of it uh, when, you know, like the last um, two months of a marathon uh, build up. So I will then have like, mostly maybe a banana or like a smoothie because not a lot of things, you know, like when you finish a big one, you just don't have an appetite for a lot of things. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, thanks ladies. I really appreciate it. Um, you're all an inspiration to all the women in our training group and they're all listening, I'm sure with bated breath. So thank you very much. I want to talk about staying motivated right now. We've got the Olympics now postponed. Now, I know Steph and Kellen, you guys were going to look ahead to the 10K trials, which is obviously not happening this year. Tokyo is rescheduled for next year, which includes Alphine's marathon, next you know marathon or what was to be your next marathon. And so it brings a lot of uncertainty to this time of year and to figure out how to approach training right now. So going to you, Steph, how are you guys thinking about building fitness, staying focused with all the uncertainty going on? I have definitely gone through like phases 
where like my current phase is like, this is just weird. It's everything feels so, you don't even like know how to define kind of like how you're feeling and what's going on. Like my uh, Riley graduated from kindergarten today and was so uh, lackluster. Like we just drove to the school and picked up a plastic bag and I was like, all right, hold up your sign, you know, and it just felt so anticlimactic. Granted, it's kindergarten, so it's not really like eighth grade or um, high school graduation, but it's kind of like you had all these expectations and like attachment of feelings to those. And that's how like not racing feels like. Like we're obviously all very intrinsically motivated. We get paid to do this. We love running. Um, but the truth of the matter, matter is it's very hard when you don't have a timeline to know like what you're training for. Um, and yeah, we're just training full time, you know, because it's our lifestyle and our job, but it really exposes the truth that we're all very attached. Like we love the process, but we do love the outcome and we do love the goals, um, and you need them. So I think in the beginning, I thought like I was totally fine. Just like training, 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 could stay so motivated. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm so full of it. Like, this is a lot harder, you know, than I thought. So I think it's really just, I'm taking it week by week now and the days I feel fired up, like be excited about that. And the days that I'm like, oh, I don't really want to get out the door, I still do because it is my job and I have the health to do so. Um, and I'm just very hopeful that we will have races one day and, hopefully sooner than later and we'll have practiced a training cycle like we're getting ready to feel like what's it like to get into 10k shape for next year and then we can practice that you know this summer and be able to translate it next summer when we need to kellen for you in some ways it could be a silver lining this this delay because of the stress fracture would have shortened your timeline to get ready for the 10k trials and maybe even made that a challenge altogether so are, you know, are you able to think about it that way? I mean, yeah, I think I'm coming from a little bit of a different standpoint, just because I did have eight weeks where I was not running um, after the trials. And, like, right now, me getting out and running is really exciting. It's really fun because I wasn't able to do that for a pretty long time. Um, so I guess I'm still kind of in my infancy phase of uh, kind of the COVID-19 running. But, um, you know, I think the way that I look at it is, you know, we're going to train just like we were getting ready for a race, like Steph said, like we were getting ready for the 10K trials and that training's not gonna go to waste. We're still gonna have that bank of fitness um, inside of us. So, you know, when we get back to the fall, hopefully there's some races that we can hop into um, and we can use that fitness, use that fitness in the next cycle that we uh, start up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we can only do what we can do. We can't control when races are going to open, but we can control what we're doing now um, and how we're handling the situations. Um, I think it's fine if you want to take days where, where you're not feeling it, you don't want to do a workout, don't do a workout. You know, there aren't races right now, so it's not that vital. Alpine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but also okay. Alpine, it's still your job, so you need to work out. <laughs> is, is Alphine taking full advantage of that I flexibility? Am. Yeah, I think um, there was only one week since we came back from the trials that I went like for seven days straight. Um, I think every week I've been taking at least a day off. I think I took two days off last week. Um, the, the strange thing is that I don't feel guilty about it. 
the only difference though is that I still make up my mileage somehow like you know I will like like for example today I'm gonna kind of double even though I'm not supposed to have a double but because I took a day off a couple of days ago um but I, I'm beginning to realize that like Stephanie said, you know, like it's our job and we love the process, but I really like knowing that I have a race. That's what motivates me to go out and run fast. And so I have found that I enjoy running, you know, like 10 miles. I even enjoy running 12 miles more now versus like going out for a workout, like thinking about going out for a workout is really, really hard. And I think also a part of that is the fact that I've never really liked working out by myself and knowing that we are, you know, we had to stay at home orders. You have to do it by yourself and make it that much harder. So I don't mind doing easy runs by myself, but when it comes to the hard stuff, it's pretty you know, incredibly hard to get motivated for that. Um, however, I'm still running, you know, I, I, I think I'm finally getting to a point where I'm enjoying running, just getting up in the morning. But the trick for me though is to go, try to go to bed early. And by early, I mean 11 p.m so that I can get up at 6 a.m. because it's getting super warm now. If I can get up at 6 a.m. and I've been getting up at 6.24 surprisingly every day without an alarm. And if I can get up that time, I'm super motivated to go out and run. Now, if I get up at eight, it's really hard for me to run that day. <laughs> I hear you. Now, Stephanie, you did a virtual 5K for the New York Roadrunners event. Tell us about that. Um, it was very hard. It was 7,000 feet, and I don't think people understand, like, how difficult altitude is. But I had, like, a contest, and I told people what my track PR was, and I just was like, don't you dare guess that. I was amazed at how many people still guess, like, in the 15 anything. So, like, now I really want to put on a race uh, at altitude and have all the masses come and run uh, a 5K on Lake Mary Road. And then they'll be like, okay, I'm going to take that my guess and like really guess. Because I mean, it's supposed to like on a good day, 45 seconds up to like a minute and a half, depending on the conditions, which is pretty significant because at altitude, if you go over, like you never come back from it and you really go over. But it was really fun. New York Roadrunners, you know, is been a huge part of my career and much of our team and the elite and so anything i can always do to support them i'm going to i was born in new york so they have a special place in my heart um so i love doing anything that involves new york roadrunners so it was really cool to do yeah to do that virtual 5k and i had the boys come out and riley held the finish line tape with ben and i had kara goucher uh kind of do commentary so that was really special to just like make it something fun for the fans you had a family prediction contest too, right? I did. I definitely won. <laughs> <laughs> and you still ran, what, 1640? 1636-ish. Oh, goodness. That's insane at 7,000 feet. Impressive. How did you get up mentally for that? I mean, one of the things, I did a 5K time trial, I guess, 10 days ago now. And it was me on a track, basically running by myself. It's not easy to get mentally motivated for solo efforts like that. How did you do it? I mean, it was probably, it was like right before I crashed pretty hard uh, mentally, actually. So it came at a good time. But that would have been like, to me, when I would have been racing, it was about like eight to nine weeks after the trials. And I, this is honestly what I thought. The next week was going to be Peyton Jordan. That's the 10K on the track that Kel and I would have tried to run the Olympic standard. So part of me wanted to be like, 
I know this doesn't mean that you're in the shape to run the Olympic standard, but I wanted to prove to myself, like I would have been a contender to try to like run that time. And so the only way I could do that was like push myself as hard as I could by myself in a solo time trial. And that, that like showed me a lot, even though it wasn't worth anything to anyone else. Kellen, what messages have you been getting from Ben during this time from your coach about how to stay focused? Um, you know, I haven't gotten a lot of messages from him because like I said, I'm just coming back. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's more so me being like, Hey, can I do a workout? We talked about it earlier this week during one of our runs and they were like, oh, you should jump in my work on our workouts this week. And I was like, Oh, okay. Sounds Steph like is very good at that, that trying to get people to jump into her workout. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I haven't, I haven't really had to deal with a whole lot just because I'm coming from a different place um, than I think Alphine and stuff here. So as we wrap this up, Alphine, I'll give you the final word. If you had to give some motivational tips to those who might be thinking about training for fall races that may or may not happen, whether they be, you know, 5k or 10k or up to a marathon, as someone who has struggled yourself getting out there every day, what would you say to that everyday runner? I think I'll just tell them that, you know, yes, a lot of us um, are training and I'm super motivated by the end goal, which is being able to race. But at the same time, there are a lot of benefits, you know, from running, from being able to get out and go for a run, just like, you know, having a crappy day and going out for a run and coming back, you feel great or just, you know, staying fit. Um, like none of those benefits will go away just because you don't have a race. And you know, in an unpredictable time, you know, with a lot of stress, I think running can save a lot of people, you know, it can save a lot of relationships, it can save a lot of families. And so I think it's important for us to continue to go out and run. Um, and really like, you can let your mind, you know, win at the end of the day, even though I still like struggle with it. But I think I tell myself that I have to be able to control my mind, which is that even on some days that I feel like I don't really want to go run. It's like, hey, no, that's your mind telling you not to go run. You can control your mind and you're learning to control your mind now so that when the time does come, when you're in a race and it's getting to be a pretty tough part of the race, you know, you've already taught yourself how to control your mind. And at that point, you know, when your mind is telling you that, okay, you can't go any faster anymore, you need to slow down, it will be like, hey, shut up. I got this, you know, I, got I have this under control. So I'm hoping that, you know, a lot of people can uh, use that and hopefully, you know, when races do come back, hopefully we are actually better off for it. Shut up. I got this. Great from the Olympic trials champions mouth. We really can't thank you all three enough as well as Hoka, Jonathan and, and your team for bringing this event to us and for making this possible. Three ladies, you are so inspirational to all of us. I really, really thank you for taking the time to talk to our community tonight and for all that you do for the running community broadly, we, uh, again, couldn't thank you enough. And also for our community, if you're still watching, go register for the Front Door 5K series. That starts next week. You have until tonight to register. Not only earns you a cool hat, but also earns you the opportunity with us to give back to some really cool charities. And so go get signed up. Tell your friends to sign up. We're going to do it together all summer, whether we can meet in person or not. And with that, we'll wrap it up and sign off. Rogue Nation, thanks again, Stephanie, Kellen, and Alphine. You were amazing. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And you guys can follow us at Hoka and AZ Elite as well.
Yes, and individually, all great follows on social media. Thank you, and thanks for bringing Stephanie and Kelly and I together. That was kind of fun. I know. <laughs> Call you later, Alvin. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, guys. So there you go. Steph Bruce, Kellen Taylor, and Olafine Tulia Muck, as I said, three of the most inspirational athletes, period, I believe, in the sport. So definitely go follow them at NAZ Elite and follow them all individually. I want to thank them again for joining. Also, I wanted to thank Hoka for bringing them to us for that conversation. And of course, thank all of you for tuning in to listen. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.